unicorns, dragons, demons, and trolls. It's your girl, Dark Pegasus here. And I believe we only have just a couple more episodes of our Podkin book left to roll with until we start a new book. So we're going to go ahead and get into this and see how far we can get. Interlude. The bard stops talking and pauses for a moment to tuck his beard. He gives his audience a thoughtful look. I suppose I should say a few words to you about gambling and how it's a very stupid thing to do. Podkin the Great did it, says the Inquisitor Rabbit, and he was a hero. And the goddess herself added the sensible rabbit, and she is a goddess, obviously. My Uncle Combe does it all the time, says another rabbit. He won a whole keg of mead once. My daddy won a spear, and a shield, and a cloak, and some trousers. In fact, everything the other rabbit was wearing. Yes, 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 the bard waves his hands to stop the chattering. I'm sure lots of people have won lots of things, including the goddess herself. But for everything they won, I bet, I mean, I'm sure, they lost even more. Pook won because he has a touch of magic about him when it comes to casting bones. Not many other rabbits have that blessing. Whatever tales of glory you've heard, gambling is radiates. A cheer comes from the corner of the room where the guards are playing dice. The doorman has come off duty and seems to be winning. The bard shrugs, I rest my case. We get the picture, says the sensible rabbit. Don't gamble. Now what did Podkin do with the money? The bard smiles and continues. Podkin stared. A blind soldier rabbit for an afternoon. It was hardly the help and protection the brig brigade promised they'd find. Could it even be enough to free Paz and give them the chance to escape Bone Root? Probably not, but what other choice did he have? I'll take him, he said, handing over the money. Crom, the gray rabbit said, my name is Crom. And have you been a soldier long? They were standing just outside the cell sword enclosure with Podkin craning his neck to look up at the new employee. Pook was trying to climb one of Crom's legs. The gray rabbit just stared straight ahead with those blank white eyes. Yes, very long. His fur was crisscrossed with old scars and his arm was dented and scratched. He looked like he'd seen a good deal of fighting, although Podkin wasn't sure how you could fight when you couldn't even see. But what about your eyes? I fought for a long time before this happened, said Crom, and I can fight now, just differently. Podkin nodded, still not convinced. The gray rabbit didn't seem bothered. He cleared his throat. May I ask you a question? Um, yes, Podkin said. Why is it you want to hire a sellsword anyway? I can tell you're only a child. Shouldn't you even be in a low-down place like this? Some rabbits have my sister, Podkin said. They've got her shut in a cage so that I've come out here to steal stuff for them. I need you to set her free, and then we can get out of this place. Shaping Keens? Crom said. Yes, do you know them? I've heard of them, said the gray rabbit. He shrugged. I heard a lot of things. Do you think you can beat them? Podkin asked. I mean, Mr. Shape is pretty big. I can take care of myself, said Crom, patting the sword at his side. It looked well used and sharp, bigger and scarier than Starclaw, although it didn't look as if it was magic. We better go then, said Podkin, peeling Pook off Crom's leg, before my time runs out. Somehow they found the tunnel that Pod had emerged from earlier and started walking back into the damp, musty darkness. Podkin led the way, glancing back now and then to see Crom walking with his arms outstretched, fingers tracing lightly along the earthen walls. Halfway down, Podkin started struggling with Pook, and the little rabbit began to whimper with hunger. Give him here, said Crom, and he hoisted Pook onto his broad back. Pook clung there, nuzzled against the scarred fur, and gradually nodded off to sleep. Podkin thought it was worth the five copper coins not to have to carry the little rabbit anymore. They had gone only a bit further when Crom suddenly stopped and looked behind him, his hand on his sword hilt. What is it? Podkin asked. Someone's coming up the tunnel, Crom whispered. Podkin squinted down toward the market. He 
could just about make out the silhouette of something hopping and scrambling back there. It grew closer as he watched. His little hand tiny against the big warrior's arm. Wade, he whispered as quietly as he could. I want you to use this. Struggling with his cloak, Podkin managed to uncover the hilt of Starclaw and pulled it out of his scabbard. He felt the familiar warm tingle with the metal and was suddenly reluctant to let a strange person touch it. It was his. His only. What if the big rabbit never gave it back? It's all right, Podkin. You can trust him. It was almost as if his, his father was there, whispering in his ear, telling him what to do. Podkin swallowed hard and gave up the blade, knowing it was for the best. He pressed it into Crom's calloused hand. The cellar weighed it, twisted it, and ran his fingers over the hilt. In his grip, it looked too small and puny to do any damage. He knelt to whisper back at Podkin, I have my own sword, boy. This is just a little dagger. Yes, Podkin replied, but I want you to use this one. It's very special, and besides, I'm still your boss, aren't I? At least until the end of the afternoon? Crom shrugged. He scooped Pook off his back and handed him to Podkin, then swept aside the blanket and stepped through. There was a grunt of surprise in the burrow beyond. Podkin and Mish dashed through the... In time to see Keene standing in the corner of the room with his mouth hanging open. The scrawny rabbit was clutching his prodding stick. He looked like he was about to give Paz a jab or two through the bars of her cage. Hearns, bristly britches, he cursed. What's going? He he never got to finish the sentence. Crom strode right up and cracked him between the ears with Starclaw's hilt. There was a hollow clonking sound and Keene's folded up into a senseless heap on the floor. Podkin! Paz jumped up and grabbed the bars of her cage. Pod had time to flash her a grin, and then there was a roaring from the far side of the burrow. Shape had been sleeping there, clutching a half-drunk bottle of mead. Now he was up, staring at Crom and bellowing at the top of his voice. You! You're the blind rabbit nobody wants to hire! What in Hearn's name are you doing here, and why'd you knock out my partner? I'm acting on behalf of my client, said Crom. And... If you know what's good for you, you let all these little rabbits go. Your client, Shape said, gave Podkin an astonished look. For a moment, Pod thought he might give in, but instead he reached for a giant club and flexed his shoulders. I'm going to kill you, blind rabbit. Then I'm going to take your client, turn him inside out, and wear him as a hat. Podkin gulped. In his head on the way there, Crom had seemed so huge and strong. Now standing a few paces away from the hulking Mr. Shape, he didn't look half as impressive. What have you done, Pod? Pad hissed from her cage. He cringed. I think I've just turned myself into some very unpleasant headgear. Shape charged then, roaring as he came. He spiked club. Beatrice whistled through the air toward Crom's head. Crom just stood there motionless. Podkin had the vision of the club knocking off his block, and if he were a particularly realistic snow rabbit. But at the last minute, he stepped to one side and raised Starclaw to parry the blow. Of course, since the club was made of wood, the magic dagger sliced through it like it was a giant cucumber. The severed part of the club flew off and embedded itself in the top of Paz's cage. Suddenly off balance, Shape stumbled to look at a pure surprise on his face. He managed to keep himself upright, staring at the severed piece in, of club in his hand. He paused, gave Crom the chance to twist himself around in a spinning movement, at the same time bringing one of the powerful legs up to kick Shape in the chest. The huge rabbit went flying backwards, crashing into the earth wall of the burrow, smashing a hole right through it, and bringing half the ceiling cascading down to bury him. In less than a few seconds, the fight was over. There was a stunned silence, and then the Podkin Mish passed, and even the cage mashed, started cheering and whooping. Podkin took Starclaw back from Crom and used it to cut open both cages. Pash rushed out and hugged him hard, tears in her eyes, and then Mash hugged him as well. There was so much hugging going on, Podkin almost turned to hug Crom, but the gray rabbit was standing so silently and solemn that he 
thought better of it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it, Mass Shadow. We're free. We're free. As I promised, I am forever in your debt, said Nish to Podkin. Bowing so low, her little ears brushed the floor. Mash did the same, and Pod noticed that they were almost identical, the only difference between the delicate black tips on the end of Nish's ears. It wasn't me, said Podkin. I mean, I didn't do anything. It was all crumb. Mish and Mash bowed at the warrior and rabbit as well, but he appeared not to notice. Instead, he knelt to speak to Podkin. That dagger, he said. It wouldn't happen to be magic, would it? Magic? Podkin stammered for a moment, realizing he might have made a mistake in revealing the sacred weapon to someone five times the size, who was able to knock out two violent criminals in just a few seconds it took to peel a carrot. Whatever do you mean? Your dagger cut through that club like it was made of air. I've only seen one weapon that could do that, and it was one of the sacred twelve. Crom reached a hand out and gripped Podkin by the shoulder. Not a firm grip yet, but one that could squish him like a grape could it be required. Tell me how you came by it, boy. Tell me the truth. Tilly could see that it was a dwarf rabbit. His fellow captive scurried after them as fast as she could run. Popkin, she managed to gasp when she reached them. What's going on? Who are you taking back to the burrow? Podkin, corrected Pod. And this is Crom. He's a soldier I've hired to give Shaping Keens a good kicking. To fight Shape, said Mish. But your sellsword is, I mean, he can't, doesn't matter that he can't see, Podkin interrupted. He's still going to beat them, aren't you, Crom? There was a grunt from the darkness behind and above him. Podkin thought it sounded confident, although it didn't really matter. He thought it was a way to give Crom an edge, quite literally. Are you sure about this? Nish said. If it goes wrong, there's no telling what Shape and Keens will do. My brother, it won't go wrong, said Podkin. I promise, and we'll make sure both our siblings are freed. If you can do that, said Mish, I'll be in your debt forever. For the rest of the walk to the burrow, Podkin silently prayed to the goddess that his plan would work. For the second time that day, he was about to gamble everything on a hunch. Either the goddess herself was guiding him, or the stress of the past few days had driven him around the bend. He hoped it was the first option. The tunnel grew darker and damper, just as the stink of mildew and mushrooms became almost overpowering. They arrived at the blanket-covered entrance, the three of them, four if you included Pook, stood silently outside for a few minutes, listening. Someone was snoring, and there was crackling of a small fire. Every now and then, there was a rustle of movement, and once or twice, Podkin thought he heard a soft, sad sigh that might belong to Paz. Just as Crom was reaching out to push through the blanket, Podkin stopped him. Sell swords. If you recall my saying, Podkin didn't know much about money and what it was worth. He was a chieftain's son, and everything he'd wanted had been his without having to pay for it. A spoiled brat, some might say. But, now that he'd had a sour taste of real life, those five copper coins clutched in his paw seemed like all the treasure in the world. He tucked them inside his cloak and swiftly pulled Pook away from the dingy corner, back into the market throng. The last thing he wanted was those scruffy rabbits trying to steal their money back, so he spent a while dodging to and fro, hiding behind stalls, roots, and crumbling pillars. Once they were good and lost, he stopped to think. What should he do with his winnings? Give it all to Keens in shape? The thought made him sick. Maybe he could give them a few coins and keep the rest hidden. But then they might search him. Could he buy Pookin himself something to eat and take them the rest? Then he thought of poor Paz shut up in the cage on her own, cold and scared and lonely. Spending money on themselves would be selfish. Looking around for inspiration, he saw that there were standing near the sellsword enclosure. The group of mercenaries were identical to the ones on show the last time they were here and the agent was still sprawled by the gate, calling out his business with as much enthusiasm as a bored snail. 
Hired swords, hired swords, he mumbled. The fiercest fighters in the world of the five realms, the greatest warriors in whatever. Some of them fought somebody else once upon a time, and apparently they were quite good, better than average, at least. Business must be slow with that kind of patter, Podkin thought. They'd be glad of any coin. With his five coppers, he might be able to hire the lot. Then he could take them back to Mr. Shapes' burrow and watch them make matching fur coats out of him and Kings. Before he really knew what he was doing, he would had marched up to the agent and prodded him in the belly. Excuse me, Podkin said in his best regal voice. Would you be the rabbit to see about hiring some mercenaries? The agent looked him up and down for a moment and then roared with laughter. He didn't stop until tears were running down his face. That's very funny, kid, but go and play your game somewhere else. I'm trying to do business here. It doesn't look like it, said Podkin with a sniff. I want to hire your men, all of them. He pulled the coins from his cloak and held them out to the agent. Five coins, five whole copper coins. That's right, said Podkin. Consider this your lucky day. Ha! The agent was about to laugh again, but then he began to look irritated and said, Five poxy coppers. Do you know what that's worth? It'd get you half a molded carrot and a jug of ditch water, if you're lucky. It's not enough for a single one of my men. Goddess above. I don't know whether to laugh at you or clip your ears. Sorry, ear. Not a single one. Podkin's lovely visions of rescuing paths and watching Shape and Keens get flattened vanished in a puff of smoke. Well, I say that the agent scratched his head. It'd get you him. He pointed to the corner where the gray-furred, blank-eyed rabbit sat on his tattered blanket for an afternoon. Podkin looked into those blank eyes, wondering what kind of story he could come up with that would explain Starclaw. In the end, he realized there was no story. He had had enough of gambling and bluffing for one day, anyway. He would tell the truth, and if he ended up getting kicked through the wall, too, so be it. It's my father's, he said in a quiet voice. He is... was... a chieftain. A Mumbury Warren to the west of here. And you're right. It is magic. It can cut through anything in the world. Except iron. Your father, then, is he dead? Podkin felt hot tears run from his eyes into his fur. The Gorm killed him, at least we think so. Now it's my dagger, and they're trying to kill me, too. The room was silent for a moment. Podkin stared at Crom, wondering what was going on in his head. Was he planning to kill them himself and take Starclaw, or turn them over to the Gorm and collect a fat reward? He was a mercenary, after all. Finally, Crom spoke. His voice was soft, almost gentle, not gruff and harsh the way it had been before. I knew your father, Podkin. I knew him well. We fought together many times, right up until he became chieftain of his warren. He was a good rabbit and a good friend. He... he was? Yes, and he would not have wanted to see his children lost in a place like this, running for their lives. Still kneeling, Crom drew his own sword. Podkin wondered what the blind warrior was going to do with it. There was nothing left to fight, surely, but Crom simply turned it over, holding the hilt out to Podkin and bowing his head. I offer you my services, Podkin, son of Lopkin. My life and my sword are yours to command. Not sure what to do, Podkin touched the sword lightly and muttered a thank you. Crom nodded, stood, and sheathed his weapon. He still looked fierce, but a little friendlier somehow. Podkin gave him a smile, even though he knew Crom couldn't see it. Does this mean I get a refund? Crom surprised them all by throwing back his head and laughing. It means I don't have to sell my skills anymore, thank the goddess. This is all very nice, said Mash, still holding his sister in a tight hug. But can we leave now? We want to get as far away from this stinking place as we can and never come back. That makes six of us, said Paz. I don't know what Brigid was doing sending us here. I thought she was so wise and clever. 
Podkin looked up at the serious, deadly face of Crump. Maybe she still is, sis, he said. Maybe there's been a reason behind everything that happened today. From the ruined corner of the room, Shape gave a groan and his fat belly jiggled, sending more chunks of earth and tumbled down onto his head. The rabbit looked at each other and nodded. Time to be somewhere else. They were just heading out the door when a booming sound of a horn blast echoed down the tunnel. It was followed by another. Then another. What's that? Podkin asked. The bone root alarm, Crom replied. Something has forced their way past the entrance. Who could it be? Podkin thought he knew the answer, even as the words left his mouth. By the terrified look on everyone's faces, they all did too. We have to get out of here, said Paz, right now. The Burning Crom headed straight for the doorway, throwing the curtain aside. From the tunnel came the alarm again. Could Podkin hear the sound of clanging armor as well, or was that his imagination? He felt his heart begin to pound against the flinty bones of his chest. Wait, Nish shouted, our weapons. The two dwarf rabbits ran to a battered wooden box that leaned against the crumbling wall of Shape and Keynes' hollow. They threw open the lid and began to rummage inside, flinging copper coins, stolen purses, and empty meat jugs everywhere. Finally, pulled out an odd selection of items and began putting them on. Both had two bandoliers made of soft leather and covered in tiny button pouches. Mash also had a long piece of wooden pipe, and Mish grabbed a wooden catapult. She tested the rubber on it and grinned. There's more weapons, she shouted. You should arm yourselves. Podkin waved Starclaw an answer, but Paz ran to the box and dragged out a bronze short sword. She swished it through the air a couple times. What do you got that for, Podkin asked. You don't even know how to use it. I do. How? Mother would never let you loose with a deadly weapon. She wanted you to learn weaving and embroidery. I got Melfrey, the weapon master, to teach me, said Paz, whenever he couldn't find you because you were off snoozing somewhere. The tunnel seemed longer and scarier than ever. Noises floated toward them that had nothing to do with the market, snatches of sh but not of the crazy, busy, bustling kind. The stalls at the closest end of the market were all overturned and trampled. Goods were crushed and smashed, banners and bunting strewn everywhere. Crowds of jostled rabbits were scrambled away and toward the far end of the chamber, throwing things out of their path as they went was a stampede of crazed terror, and Podkins could see what was causing it. Directly opposite the tunnel mouth, there were crouching in a bone-root entrance, now crammed full of hunched, armored shaped. It was the Gorm, just as he had known it would be when the alarm sounded. Toasted turnips, Podkin thought. That would have amounted to quite a few lessons. She's probably pretty good. He nodded at his sister with a grudging admiration as she turned to follow Crom out of the burrow. Now was not the time for a squabble. Before leaving, he had a quick rummage in the box and pulled out Paz's silver bracelet and his belt buckle. By the goddess, he wasn't going to leave them behind for Shape and Keens. He tucked them into his cloak pocket and hurried after the others. The small group stepped out of the doorway, weapons at the ready. Crom scooped Pook onto his back and ran a paw along the mildewy earthen wall. Does this tunnel lead anywhere, an exit, somewhere to hide? He sounded like a soldier now, a captain about to lead his troops into battle. Nisha and Mash both shook their heads. It's a dead end down that way, said Mash. Just a bunch of rubbish and slops. Then we have to go back into the main chamber. Everyone stay behind me and don't get separated, Crom ordered. It was the last place they wanted to go, but they felt a line all the same. Shouting shrieks of fear, Podkin dreaded what would meet them when they stepped out into the main chamber. He thought of the Gorm bursting out from the ground, pouring out into Munbury Longborough. To rip away, to see that again, to feel that much terror, every muscle in his body tried to make him turn and run the other way. In his hand, Starclaw fizzled and juddered. It was like the dagger knew his fear and was angry about it. Podkin stared down at it in the gloom. Could it really read his mind? Was it trying to help him? Anger was good. Anger was powerful. It gave him the courage to keep moving forward down the tunnel. 
And when he got to the end, well, it might not be enough to make him want to actually fight the Gorm, but it would help him find the strength to get past them if he could. Out into the forest where he stood a chance, quietly now keep low, Krom's command snapped Podkin from his dreaming, and he realized they were almost at the tunnel's mouth. The other rabbits were all crouched low, keeping to the shadows. Nish jumped on Nash's shoulders to put out a candle that was lighting the tunnel, and it became even darker. They crept forward, so they everything he loved had let them in through the hidden door. His face was bruised and bloodied. There were twenty of them at least, standing between the crumpled pillars and winding roofs, but more stomping into the chamber behind them, torch lights glinting out their cruel armor as they stood in formation, looking around with their blank red eyes in the place they had just destroyed. They're just standing there, whispered Paz. Why aren't they chasing the market rabbits? Podkin saw that she was right. Surely they should be attacking, or at least smashing the rest of the market into pieces. It was almost as if they were waiting for something. There was a commotion in the tunnel, and Pod realized they were about to find out what their waiting was for. The Gorm parted, making space for someone to enter, someone taller and fiercer than the rest, with a pair of lopsided iron horns curled upward from his helmet. Scramashack. He was here. He had caught them. Or had he? Did he know they were hiding just a few feet away? Maybe the Gorm had stumbled upon Bonru by accident. Did that mean they would be able to sneak past them and escape somehow? All these thoughts raced through Podkin's head in a few seconds. He didn't feel brave or angry anymore. Even the thrumming dagger in his hand and he was holding couldn't stop him from trembling. He looked up at Krom with white-rimmed, terrified eyes, waiting for the signal to run, run for the life. Hold, the big rabbit whispered, sensing the fear of the others. Not yet, not yet. Podkin grabbed Paz's hand and squeezed it tightly while looking around, looking across at the Gorm and their evil father-killing lord. There was no sign that he had seen them. Scramashak was beckoning his troops, two of whom were dragging something down from the entrance. Was it a rabbit? Yes, a half-dead, beaten scrap of one. By his long beard and patched armor, Podkin recognized him as the guard. He had clearly put up a good fight for all the good it had done him. Lift him up, just hearing Scramashek's voice again made Podkin want to cry. Oh, if only he were some kind of legendary warrior like in the stories, who could storm out there and smash the Gorm to pieces. Instead, he's hiding in a tunnel, trying not to wet himself. Can you hear me? The guard rabbit had been hoisted upright, and Scramashek was face to face with him, staring right into the poor creature's eyes. The rabbit made some kind of noise, halfway between a grunt and a whimper. If they've been through this festering flea pit, you must have seen them. What would the rabbit say? Would he betray them? Please, 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 Podkin thought, not sure who he was even praying. The guard rabbit lifted his head higher with the last of his strength. He opened his mouth to speak, and Scramashack leaned in closer to listen, and the brave, wonderful guard spat into the Gorman Lord's face. This was only a moment of total silence that seemed to stretch on forever. Scramashack was like an iron statue, motionless as the gaba spittle ran slowly down his face plate of his helmet. Then, with the speed and strength that shocked even Podkin, the Gormlord grabbed the guard th and threw him against the chamber. He sailed through the air like a broken doll, crashed into a candle stall, sending sparks of hot wax showering everywhere. Flames began to spring up among the market wreckage, and tender dry roots, with nobody to put them out, they quickly spread. Was this the diversion they had been waiting for? Just as Podkin looked up a crown for a signal, he caught sight of movement from the corner of his eye. The bone root rabbits had regrouped themselves into a ragtag army of a kind. 
and had used the guards' questioning as their own diversion. Sneaking up among the abandoned stalls, they had crept into position, and even as flames began to leap up around them, they let fly a hail of spears, arrows, and stones at the Gorm invaders. The battle bone route had started. Podkin stared at on in horror. Besides the attack on Munbury, he had never witnessed any real violence, and that had been nothing compared to this. Missiles pringed and zipped through the air, most of them clanging harmlessly off the Gorm's armor. A few seconds later, the Gorm responded, sending long, iron-tipped spears whooshing toward the bone root rabbits. Around all of them, the fire grew, filling the air with stinging smoke. Still, Crom waited. It wasn't until the flames had spread almost to the mouth of their tunnel that he finally made a move. Clouds of smoke billowed everywhere. Podkin couldn't even see the bone root entrance anymore, so he was sure the Gorm couldn't see him. Now, everybody, Crom shouted, with me, and as fast as you can. Podkin and Paz both held their breath, clinging to each other as hard as they could. They have something I want, a dagger or a sword. I'm not sure what it looks like, only that it isn't a silver broadsword. Scramashek paused to snarl, angry that he had been tricked by Lopkin's decoy. Thought you'd hidden yourselves away, didn't you? Thought you were all safe from the gorm. Down here in your stinky little pit. The rabbit grunted again. It was only a matter of time, of course, Scramashek continued. We were bound to find you, just as we'll find every rabbit in all the five realms. There is nowhere you can hide from the gorm. The men cheered at this and banged their swords against their armor, making a hideous clanging din that echoed around the chamber. When it died down, Scramashek grabbed the guard rabbit's beard and jerked up his head up hard. Enough talk. I'm in a good mood today, so I'll give you one chance to spare your miserable life. I'm looking for some rabbits, little rabbits, a boy, a girl, and a baby, he thought. But they just kept striding on as though they couldn't even feel the heat. Nearly there, he shouted in Crom's ear. He thought he could see the bodies of some rabbits among the debris. Was that one of the gambling rabbits lying curled beneath the broken stall? And there, was that the rabbit with the picked, pickled beetroots who had given them directions when they first arrived? Podkin felt that he should do something. There was no time to stop and help. It was every rabbit for himself. The sellsword market paths yelled, There it is. Just a few steps further behind a wall of roiling black smoke was the fence enclosed where Podkin had first spotted Crom. He remembered wondering how a blind rabbit could possibly fight. Now his very life depended on him. Quick, everyone, Crom said, into the enclosure. Head for the stone pillar at the far side. There's a passage behind. They all dashed across the now empty space, past the tattered blanket where Crom had sat for the goddess knows how long. Sure enough, a tunnel entrance just the right size for a small rabbit was hidden among the shadows. Paz was about to dart in when something struck the stone pillar by her head. With a loud crash, sharp chips of stone exploded off of it, hitting her in the face and knocked her to the ground. It was a spear, Podkin saw, and it had missed spiking her through the head by only a few inches. Crom spun around, making Pod and Pooh cling on for dear life. There stomped out in a smoke cloud was a gorm warrior. His iron armor was black by soot, the fur on his ears seared away, and the flesh beneath scorched pink. Not that it seemed to care. His jagged broadsword was already swinging toward them, those dead eyes staring at him as if they were nothing but walking meat. Jump back, Podkin yelled, making Crom leap just in time as the sword swooshed past his nose and thudded into a stone floor on the cavern. Didn't you hear it coming? The noise, Crom shouted. It's too much. I can't hear where he's coming from. Be my eyes, Podkin. 
the chaophonic screaming in the cave, the roar of burning timber, the wash of red-hot air and stink of smoke, all these things had dulled the senses Crom relied on to make up for his useless eyes. The Gorm had raised his sword high and was coming at them. They stood and ran down from the tunnel onto the cavern floor. The entire marketplace had become a bonfire, sending sheets of flame shooting up to the root-covered ceiling above. Showers of sparks whirled through the black smoke, and burning streamers of bunting flapped this way and that like huge snakes made of fire. Bone-root rabbits danced in and out of the inferno, shooting arrows, then dodging away again before Gorm spears could find them. I know a way out, Crom called back to the group, but you must guide me. He put out his hand and Podkin grabbed it, thinking to lead him along, but the warrior rabbit hauled him up onto his back, next to the mewling, shaking pook. Be my eyes, Podkin. You need to find the cell sword stall. Quickly, now. Podkin had a vague idea where it was, but it was difficult to see in the smoke. He put an arm around Pook to comfort him, then shouted into Crom's ear, Forward! Keep going along the side of the cavern! With Crom leading the way and Podkin steering him like a rider on a giant rat, they moved as quickly as they could along the edge of the market floor. They had to dodge pieces of burning canvas and step through the shattered remains of stalls as they went, which slowed them down dangerously. Podkin sneaked a glance across the cavern to see the Gorm steadily advancing, stepping through flames that licked off their armor. I hope they boil inside. Duck! Podkin screamed. Jump right! The broadsword swished past them both times, missing them by a few whiskers. How could Crom attack if he couldn't sense the enemy? What if another Gorm came to join then? Let's even the field a bit, shall we? A voice at Crom's feet. Podkin looked down to see Mish, her catapult stretched back as far as it could go, pointing it at the Gorm's face. Beside her, Mash had the pipe held in his mouth. They both fired at once. Little black balls of something shooting up into the armor head of the attacker and hitting both of his helmet eye holes at once. The balls exploded, filling the Gorm's eyes with black, sticky goo that smoked and burned. The warrior roared, dropping his sword and clawing at his face. They were well inside the tree line, looking out at the wasteland of shrubs and bushes that hid Bone Root. In the distance, he could make out something that might be the stone arch where they had entered. Here and there among the trees, he could see lines of moving shapes. Streams of rabbits were pouring out of other hidden exits, fleeing their home like ants from a nest that had been doused with boiling water. Podkin felt very sorry for them all. They had run from the Gorm to get here, and now they are running again. Did you feel that, Paz said? She was lying beside him, covered from head to toe in black. That what? He croaked. The ground. It moved. Podkin looked at the forest floor around them, and then he felt it as well. A deep shudder in the bones of the earth. The chamber's collapsing, said Crom. We better move. They sat, coughing and staring, as cracks began to appear in the snow, not thirty feet away from them. With a painful groaning ripping sound, the cracks spread. Trees began to lean inward, and spouts of smoke started seeping from the... Even though Crom was right and their lives were in danger, none of the rabbits had the energy to lift a paw. Open wounds in the soil. Back, Crom shouted, and this time they... Now is a chance to hit him, but would a blow from Crom be enough to knock him off his feet? There needed to be something behind the warrior's feet, something to make him stumble. A memory popped into Podkin's head from nowhere, playing in the meadows in midsummer with Rusty and Rufus from Redwater. Pod would creep up behind one of them and crouch down, and then Paz would push them over, sending them tumbling onto the soft, sweet grass. 
then they would all roar with laughter, and it was the funniest thing in the world. A burning underground market was a million miles away from the Munbury Meadow, but it could still work, couldn't it? Podkin slipped from Crumb's back and dashed around behind the gorm. Crouching into a ball, Paz saw what he was doing and joined in, too. The pair of them making the decent-sized stumbling block. Hit him now, Crom Parkin shouted. Kick out straight ahead of you. The warrior rabbit threw himself backwards, dropping to take his weight off of his hands and bringing up both feet for a mighty kick. It caught the gorm in the chest, and he toppled, spilling over Podkin and Paz and crashing onto one of the stone pillars like a clap of thunder. It was like being rolled over by an iron oak tree, and the two little rabbits were flattened to the hot flagstones. The wind knocked out of them. Looking up at where the gorm lay, wedged in a pillar, Podkin saw cracks appear in the ancient masonry. And up above, there was an ominous groaning sound. But there wasn't time to worry about that now. Mish and Mash dragged Podkin and Paz out from the floor, and the whole group dashed into the tiny burrow, coughing and choking as they went. The tunnel zigs and zagged in all directions and was thick with webs and roots of dust. After twenty feet or so, it climbed sharply, almost vertically upward. There were wooden rungs hammered into the hard earthen walls, but many were as old as time and simply shattered in their grasping hands. Instead, they had to grab fistfuls of roots and haul themselves up. It was like climbing the inside of a chimney, cramped, lightless, full of suffocating smoke. They scrabbled as fast as they could away from the flames and the roaring behind them. At some point, Pook was knocked from Crom's back. The big rabbit was on his hands and knees, his shoulders brushing against the tunnel roof. Podkin grabbed Pook, and with Paz's help, they heaved him up the tunnel between them. Misha Mash led the way, all of them coughing and choking from the smoke. Finally, finally, they burst out of the darkness and through a mat of overgrown brambles into the evening light. One by one, they collapsed into the snow at the edge of the forest and lay there, panting and gasping. It was like being born into a new world. Podkin grabbed great handfuls of snow and smashed into his face. The smoke had turned his eyes into two throbbing balls of pain, and his nose and throat stung as if they had been rubbed with sandpaper and vinegar. After a few moments, his vision began to return, blurry and watery. Podkin turned around in time to see a circle the size of the entire bone root marketplace tear itself out of the earth, and then everything inside, trees, bushes, mud, snow, all folded downward into the pit with a crashing roar that shook them off their feet. Where a messy scrubble land had once stood, there was now a gaping hole oozing black smoke into the darkening sky. On the far side, where the ruined arch still jutted upward, Podkin could see figures staggering out of the wreck of bone root, armored, hunched figures steaming with smoke and burned blood. He counted ten, maybe fifteen of them, before he they stopped coming. Most of the attackers must have been buried beneath several tons of earth, stone, and root below. Good, he thought, and would have even done a little dance of joy had he not spotted the last gorm shoulder to step free of the tunnel. He was bigger than the rest by a good head, and the spikes on his armor were terrible and huge. White bony things hung from his belt, and he was leaning on a massive two-handed broadsword for support. As Podkin stared, the gorm turned to look across the chasm that Bone Root had left, and Pod was sure he could see two glowing red spots of light in the slits of his helmet. Podkin felt his lips form the name. Scramashack. He had survived. Goddess curse him. What is it, Pod? Paz had him by the shoulder and was shaking him. 
look of grave worry on her face. He wanted to answer, but all he could do was somehow found a last shred of energy, enough to scramble and drag each other further into the trees where the ground was more solid. Paz followed his stare, and when she saw what he had seen, she snapped Pook up into her arms and ran. They all ran as far and fast into the forest as they could, just as if the devil himself were behind them, which, in a way, he was. Okay, guys, I think that's a good stopping point. So, if you have any recommendations for new books or predictions for our current book, you can hit up my Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. It's all at the same handle, which is at Dark Pegasus, D-R-K-P-E-G-S-U-S. I do a nightly Twitch stream with my friend, as well as I stream sometimes during the day on YouTube. So, you can hit up the chat directly, or you can just DM me. I don't care which. You can also hit up my dog's Instagram that has super cute pictures of my husky up there, which is at hottie, H-A-T-I, underscore, A-K-A, underscore, Mr. Woofles. The only thing that I can stress with your recommendations or predictions is please no spoilers. I'm not usually this anal about spoilers, but I want to be surprised with you guys. If you send me recommendations or predictions with spoilers in it, I can't do that, and I can't accurately predict what might happen in the story later. So I want to thank you guys in advance for keeping this spoil-free. So if you want to support the podcast or donate for new books for me to read, you can. You can donate to my Venmo, which is at Dark Pegasus, or my Cash App, which is the dollar sign Dark Pegasus, and just use the note hashtag podbook uh, so I know what it's for. It's not required, but it is greatly appreciated. Last, I want to let you guys know that all copyrights belong to the author and the publisher. I'm just doing this for fun, you guys. I love you guys and see you later.